0: back to our podcast Dental Study Bites Patient Case Reviews. It's Jess and Neha here. For those of you who don't know us, we are currently fourth year dental students at the University of Minnesota. In this podcast we talk about patient cases and incorporate high yield board facts to help students prepare for the INBDE. Today is part three of a
1: full mouth rehabilitation case. This case was provided to us by Dr. Velazquez, a current prosthodontic resident at the University of Minnesota. This case is quite involved as it required endodontics, prosthodontics, and periodontics residents to collaborate. Today we'll be talking about the removable prosthodontic aspect of this case and what to remember for the board exam. Removable partial dentures were included as a treatment option in this
0: case, so I think that would be a great place to start. In the clinic, I personally find making partial dentures to be one of the hardest procedures since there are a lot of steps and a lot of planning that goes into them. To begin, let's go over the different components of a partial denture.
1: Great idea. There are seven main components of a partial denture. They are as follows. Major connectors, minor connectors, indirect retainers, direct retainers, rest seats, proximal plates, and a denture base. Can you talk about the major
0: connectors, Jess? Sure. Major connectors connect all the components of one side of a partial denture with the components of the other side. Some common examples of maxillary major connectors are posterior palatal straps, anterior posterior palatal straps, U-shaped palatal straps, and full palatal straps. Posterior palatal straps tend to be more comfortable, whereas anterior posterior palatal straps and U-shaped palatal straps are often used when tori are involved. If you have a gag reflex with the tori, then a U-shaped palatal strap would be best. A full palatal strap is often used when you have two distal extensions and a high likelihood of having to add teeth to the partial denture later. The main type of mandibular major connectors are what?
1: They are a lingual bar and a lingual plate. A lingual bar is the most comfortable and most hygienic. However, you need at least 8 millimeters of space from the free gingival margin of the anterior teeth to the floor of the mouth. A lingual plate is used when you don't have this space or if you suspect that there may be further tooth loss or need for tooth stabilization. What are minor connectors? Minor connectors join
0: clasp, rest, indirect retainers, and denture-based material to the major connector. A proximal plate is a type of minor connector that helps control the path of insertion. A minor connector helps distribute stress between components of a partial denture. Do you want to
1: explain the difference between a direct and indirect retainer? Absolutely. A direct retainer is anything that engages an abutment tooth that resists displacement of the prosthesis. These are commonly called clasps. You are able to have supra bulge clasp and infra bulge clasps. A circumferential clasp is an example of what? And what about an eye bar clasp? A circumferential clasp is a supra bulge clasp and
0: an eye bar clasp is an infra bulge clasp. There are many different types of clasps, but there really are just two main kinds that are used. What are the two main types of metals used for clasps?
1: That would be rot wire, which is often used for distal extensions and cast metal. Going back to the original question, indirect retainers are by definition rests placed on the opposite side or perpendicular of the fulcrum line from the extension base. Basically, to find your indirect retainers, you draw a line through your furthest back rest seats on either side of the arch, This is also known as the fulcrum line. Then draw another line perpendicular to this line, and this will show you where your prosthesis could benefit from indirect retainers. Indirect retainers help the RPD from moving occlusally or in a rotational pattern around your fulcrum line.
0: Now that we have talked about the different components of a partial denture, let's talk about the Kennedy classification. There are four types. Kennedy class one is when you have two distal extensions. Kennedy class two is when you have one distal extension. What about Kennedy class 3 and 4?
1: Kennedy class 3 is when you have a unilateral edentulous space with natural teeth remaining both anterior and posterior to the space. Class 4 is when you have a single bilateral space crossing the midline that's a This space is located anterior to the natural teeth. Nice. I think that is a great review of partial dentures. We should move on
0: to complete dentures now. One big thing that was talked about on the boards was an idea of support in
1: conjunction with dentures. Do you want to explain this, Neha? Sure. Support means the resistance to vertical forces on a denture. You can have both upper and lower complete dentures. So for an upper denture, support comes from which two things? And what about the lower?
0: For the maxillary complete denture, the palate and alveolar ridge aid in support. For the mandibular complete denture, the buccal shelf and the retromolar pad help with support.
1: Exactly. Now that we have support covered, let's talk about stability. What is it in relation to a complete denture? Stability is the resistance to horizontal
0: dislodging forces. For both the maxilla and mandible, the ridge height and depth of
1: vestibule play a huge role in this. Lastly, we have retention, which is the resistance to dislodging forces. This primarily comes from the peripheral seal.
0: What is the best indicator for the success of a complete denture in general? That
1: would be the ridge. And what type of ridge do we ideally want? A wide broad ridge is best for dentures. Awesome, another topic that came up on boards was phonetics for dentures. There are five main categories of sounds when it comes to dentures. Jess, do you wanna explain a few of them? Absolutely, we can start with bilabial sounds, which are the
0: B, P, and M sounds. You make these sounds by contacting both lips together. So when making a denture, if you don't have enough lip support, you can expect your patient to have some trouble with these sounds. Another one is the guttural sounds, which are the G and K sounds. These occur when you contact the back of your tongue with your throat. If you have too much acrylic with your denture, you could have interferences with these sounds.
1: Do you want to talk about a few others, Neha? Sure. There are also lingual dental sounds, which are the the sounds. These occur when you have contact between the tip of your tongue and the maxillary and mandibular teeth. When setting teeth, if the tongue is not visible during these movements, then the teeth are likely set too forward. However, if the tongue sticks out, then the teeth are too far back. There are also lingoalveolar sounds, which are the S, Z, SH, CH, and J sounds. These happen when the tip of the tongue makes contact with the anterior palate or lingual surfaces of teeth. If you hear whistling sounds when they say these sounds, then the arch is too narrow. If you have a lisp, then the arch can be too wide. Jess, do you want to explain the last one? The last one is known as fricative sounds, which are the F, V,
0: and P sounds. This happens when there is contact between the wet-dry line of the lip and the anterior incisors. This helps the practitioner figure out where the maxillary
1: incisors should be placed when setting teeth. Awesome. So now let's cover a few facts about denture processing. There were a few questions about this on board, so it's worthwhile to go over. What are two components of the pink denture base? The pink denture base is made by a heat-cured acrylic reaction. It's composed of PMMA, which is a polymer, which is a polymer powder, and MMA, which is a monomer and a liquid. When a denture is processed, what always occurs? Shrinkage always occurs. What happens when you have excess monomer in your reaction? You would expect to have more shrinkage than normal. If you find a porosity, it is most likely from not packing the resin tightly enough at processing it can also happen by heating the reaction too quickly.
0: And that just about wraps up episode four. In our next episode, we will be finishing up this case with a video on periodontology. Hope to see you guys there. Thanks for tuning in.
1: Thanks.